it won't take much to argue that time is a sacred commodity. We have more and more books coming out on time management, when in reality, we probably feel managed by time. We even connect it to money. We have sayings like, time is money, which is interesting to think about. It's that much of a commodity. Or another day, another dollar. As if days are connected to earning potential and accomplishment. Time is a sacred part of a busy secular world. And even though God might not be included in much of that, we even have restaurants that, thank God, it's Friday, where people speak the language, or some kind of divine connectivity to time. Well, it's as if God knew full well that time would be a sacred commodity, and he made it as such as part of his fourth commandment. We, we are in this series on the Ten Commandments, and we're covering Commandment 4 today, which is simply described as keep the Sabbath. And I, and I mentioned to you earlier that there's Ten Commandments, and eight of them are negative. You shall not. So don't do eight things. Two of them are positive. This is the first positive. It's the first time we've had, this is what you must do. The others are don't do these things. This one is do this. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the you could, you could even say that they're broken up into two parts that fit the love commandments of God. Christ gave love God and love neighbor that summarizes all the law. The first four commandments are vertical in orientation. It's about how we rightly love God. And the last six commandments are horizontal in nature. It's how we rightly love one another and our neighbor. In fact, I even broke it down and described it for you in this way. I said, the first commandment, no other gods, is really answering the who we worship question. And the second commandment, no images, is addressing the how we worship question. Then commandments three and four take the first and the second and go deeper. The no sacrilege third commandment takes the who a little deeper. And this fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath takes the how we worship deeper. That's what we want to talk about today. We've got our text there in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. I always bring in usually a New Testament text that kind of fulfills it, speaks to it, fleshes it out for us a bit. And certainly with the fourth commandment, I think that statement by Paul in Colossians 2 is helpful, and we'll get to that. But before we do, let's pray. Ask the Lord to minister to us through his word. Father, we want to, as we gather today, we want to hear from your word we want to understand about even the significance and meaning of gathering this particular day and not tomorrow or yesterday and doing so regularly and not just whenever we might think of it or annually, for example. Why do we, why does your church regularly set up corporate worship on Sunday mornings every week, holiday or not? Help us to understand that from your word and see how it is deeply rooted in the fourth commandment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me give my summary statement of what I think verses 8 to 11 in Exodus 20 or the fourth commandment is saying. The fourth commandment requires, again, think positive. It's, it's a positive command. The fourth commandment requires us to set apart Sunday as the Lord's day. Now, notice I didn't say Sabbath. I said the Lord's day. You get into something a little tricky with all the commandments, but maybe the fourth 
reveals it a bit more. Because we're dealing with a commandment given under the old covenant, but that now has life and meaning in the new covenant. That is, this fit the context of God's people in the Old Testament, but this is before Christ came. This is before he fulfilled the law and his person and work. This is before he explained it more fully in light of his teaching ministry. So I specifically used language that fits the new covenant and the full progressively revealed revelation that God gave, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the new. The Sabbath has long been an issue of interpretive disagreement among Christians. I mean, don't hear that in a negative sense. Brothers and sisters, there are many things that we'll disagree on in interpreting the Bible. That's partly because we take it seriously. That's also because there's always interpretive challenges or questions of how to interpret it. And the Sabbath is one of those. And maybe you've tasted this a little bit. Maybe you grew up and, and, and you, Sunday morning was a big deal. Maybe Sunday morning wasn't a big deal for you at all in your home. Maybe Sunday morning you would never work. You, maybe you did church morning and evening. You were limited from shopping. I, I know a family growing up, they, they weren't even allowed to turn their oven on on Sunday. Any, move, any food they are going to have was kind of pre-prepped because they weren't supposed to work on Sunday. Well, let me tell you the kind of the two main positions that our brothers and sisters still have regarding the Sabbath. Now, both of these have a strong emphasis on corporate gathering on Sunday morning. Like, that, that's not a question. That one is obvious and clear and is rooted in Scripture. Well, they've disagreed in regard to the old covenant context of this initial command is about the question of work. So, so here's the first tradition. Some Christian traditions have a focused time of worship plus a practice of a full day of rest as well. Like there's no working. And maybe some of you grew up in a context like that. The fancy word for that would be Sabbatarianism. That's where they acknowledge the Sabbath command is something that belongs for both testaments and both covenants. They would argue, and understandably so, like our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would argue this, that this is rooted in creation itself. Therefore, it extends prior to Jesus and after Jesus. If Sabbatarianism is too big a word, then just think Chick-fil-A. This is what Chick-fil-A does. Like, they will not be open on Sunday, which, by the way, seems insane in our consumeristic world, but they honor that. That for them, they're not going to have their employees working. Now, the second tradition would just simply say, hey, Chick-fil-A, open up at noon or one. But the full Sabbatarian would say, there's no working on Sunday. That, that belongs to the Lord. So notice, there's the, there's the worship plus practice of no work. That's, that's the first. The second tradition, so it's, it's the non-Sabbatarians, would also agree on worshiping on Sunday morning, non-negotiable. That is clear. But rather than the practice of a full day of rest, they would say that the commandment is simply asking us or commanding us to pursue the wisdom of a rhythm of labor and rest. Like you just must be wise with labor and rest. You embrace your limitations. You, you think about that. But there's no command on a specific day that that must happen. You've got a big exam tomorrow for high school. You go to church. You feel free to go study. You got a, you got a four-hour work shift at Culver's or Beefaroo. 
you feel free to go and work there Sunday afternoon. You take Sunday morning seriously. Then you feel free to go to work. You're not probably going to work at Chick-fil-A on Sunday afternoon, but Beefaroo might be open. You see what I'm saying? Two traditions, brothers and sisters, all of whom will be in heaven, will disagree on how to interpret that. The one is the Chick-fil-A Sabbatarianism, and the other is simply it's not about work per se. Their argument would be something like Jesus fulfilled the work. So we're not denying that work is demanded. We're just denying that we're the ones that fulfill that. So let me give you that biblical context. Now, to be fair, I'm not a Sabbatarian. I hold to the second view. And I'll explain why. In the Old Covenant, the Sabbath was connected to creation, to the creation of the world and the, and the rest that God himself took. Look at verses 9 to 11 in our Exodus 20 text. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It belongs to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your any kids saying, I don't need to clean my room today. This is what you'd be, you'd want to be a Sabbatarian. Male, or, male servant, female servant, or your livestock slash dog. Or the sojourner who is with your gates. Like, meaning your entire family is to honor this. Like, you do all you can to dictate home life to match this. And verse 11 explains why. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, i.e. the seventh day, and made it holy. In the new covenant, though, this is... Slightly, this is viewed differently in several ways. Jesus admitted, or taught us in Matthew 5, 17, he did not come to abolish the law, but he did come to fulfill it. So abolish means it's still pointing to something good and true, but maybe instead of saying the word fulfillment, say the word transformed. I didn't come to abolish the law, Jesus says, I came to transform. Form it. You even get a glimpse of that in that Colossians 2 passage that Doug also read. Look at what Paul says in verse 16. He's actually prohibiting people from making too big a deals on how one another separates days. He doesn't want old covenant practices to be dominant. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Or with regard to a festival, food and drink would be, in the Old Testament, could you eat pulled pork sandwiches? No. In the New Testament, barbecue away. He's like, don't let somebody judge you on that. Or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Notice that he specifically mentions the Sabbath. And then he adds this. These are a shadow of the things to come, meaning all of these were pointing at or were preparing us for ultimately Christ, who Paul ends with verse 17 by saying, the substance belongs to Christ. Now, that doesn't, my, my close, close friend Darian, who is a hardcore PCA Presbyterian, would be raising his hand to back and say, it's not like I don't think Christ fulfilled that. I, I just think that the Sabbath is connected to creation. Fair enough. I'm not going to disagree with you, Darren. I understand that, which is why he's going to be a Sabbatarian. That's 
There's issues of questions there of interpretation. That's rightly so. But please hear this distinction. But even then, to be honest with you, why, is, why are our Presbyterian brothers not worshiping on the true Sabbath? When is the Sabbath? That's actually Saturday. The seventh day Saturday was changed in the New Covenant and the New Testament to Sunday, which is technically the eighth day. Everything changed with Jesus. He was crucified and buried on a Friday, and the third day, which happens to be a Sunday, he was resurrected. And both he, his appearances, the next few Sundays, which literally, it's like Jesus would disappear for a week, and then guess when he would keep showing up? Like twice in the Gospel of John. Like, where is Jesus Monday through Saturday? Then all of a sudden, Sunday comes around, and guess who's appearing in some upper room, walking through doors? It's Jesus. It's almost like he was showing the church, the pattern of the presence of God on Sunday. But the early church, through the reading of Scripture and the practices of Jesus, began to see that actually Jesus not only fulfilled the role of the first Adam, but fulfilled the role of the first creation. And the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is the beginning of, guess what, the new creation. So if you think of the first creation as a seven-day week, which is really what it was, by starting on the first day of the next week, what are we celebrating? The beginning of the new creation. It's not yet, but it is already. We have the down payment of the Spirit. We know the full story of all things. We know that death is even redefined as sleeping, not permanent, because Jesus is the Lord of the living and the dead. And we acknowledge that on the Lord's day, not on Saturday, but on Sunday. This was such a big deal that the Council of Laodicea in 363, just a little bit before you and I were around, commanded, get this, they commanded Christians to work on the Sabbath, i.e. Saturday. They wanted them to acknowledge that you are not living under the old covenant. You are not trying to earn your salvation in any way. You are not living in a Judaizing way. You are new creation Christians, and you worship that way. You would even see a common practice for many of the first centuries of the church that Christians would feel the temptation to read the Old Testament on Saturdays and read the New Testament on Sundays because they were just caught in that tension between the completion of creation toward the new creation in Jesus. And again, at that same council of Laodicea, it was commanded, you should read the Old Testament on Sundays. Why is that the case? Because here would be the argument. If Christ fulfilled the commandments of Old Testament sacrifices, then he also fulfills the commandment for the Old Testament Sabbath. Meaning if we aren't including as part of worship sacrificing pigeons and a few lambs and things like that as part of the nature of what it means to be Christian in the new covenant, then why would we be doing something any different with Sabbath? Christ is the Sabbath. Christ is the substance of what the Sabbath and the food laws and festivals and new moons and all those things were pointing to. Now, distorted versions of this is when Christians actually begin to adopt Old Covenant practices and New Covenant life. Here's a great example. You ever heard of a church tradition called Seventh-day Adventist? When do they meet? They meet on Saturdays. So they lock in and think that actually 
worshiping on Sundays is a mistake, so they will worship on Saturday specific. Again, that's a rare tradition. The majority of traditions would worship on Sunday. There's a few cults that would do that as well, that would worship on Saturday instead of Sunday. But in all three branches of Christianity, the Orthodox realm, whether it's Roman uh, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or Protestant, it is Sunday that has long been the standard of understanding the transition and transformation from the Old Covenant to the New. Here, here's what B.B. Warfield said. He said, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought out the Lord's Day out of the grave on resurrection morning. He fulfilled the Sabbath commandment and his death and resurrected on the first day of the next week, reoriented human history. Now again, the world doesn't acknowledge that at all, right? The world is literally thanking God for Fridays. It's actually Sunday that we're thanking God. See, the world is going to have a whole different time of orienting our lives around a schedule to the most important things. Wednesday's hump day, Weekends are sacred time. I, got, I orient my time around work and basically around me. I orient my time around me. And God is like, you are neither king nor are you savior. Orient yourself around me. The Lord's day. So in light of that biblical context and the transformation from the Old Covenant, Old Testament, to the New Covenant, the New Testament, we can read differently now and properly, verse 8 in Exodus 20. By the way, j- just for more of this, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, literally by the end of the biblical story, it's using language of Lord's Day and not Sabbath. So even the New Testament uses language of Lord's Day and Sunday. This isn't like the church is trying to put this together in naivete. This is literally, by the end of the biblical story, Revelation 1.10 is the clearest example. When John is getting his vision from the Lord that he writes in the book of Revelation, guess what? He literally says, on the Lord's day, the Lord gave a vision to me, i.e. on Sunday. So look with me at that command. It's short. The explanation in verses 9 to 11 is longer, but God says two things. Remember the Sabbath day, and then he says to keep it holy. Remember, the word remember commands the Lord's day to be a life marker that flows from the past and is a guide for the future. That God created the world in this stru- Sabbath structure, which means it has design, it has purpose, it has a goal. That the goal of all creation, in Hebrews talks about this, The goal of all creation is an ultimate rest with God made possible by Christ alone. And you understand this, right? Every one of your friends, family members, maybe even you, you're constantly looking for rest and meaning and purpose. And God literally designed the world to aim in such a way that Jesus is the one who weekly you're reminded, I am your rest. I am your satisfaction. I am your purpose. I am your identity. By observing the Lord's day, then, we are making both a confession and a commitment. It is a confession that says God is king. Not my work. Not my entertainment. Not my soccer league. Not my golf game. Not my family time. God is king. 
It's a confession and a commitment that we will serve him. Time is not money. It is Christ. Another day, another day of worship. Right? The world doesn't know those sayings and may not say them, but the people who honor the fourth commandment do. The practice of the Lord's Day orients the Christian to the ultimate goal of human life. Even you and us having our children sitting in here this morning is reminding them, teaching them that our pausing for one hour, or hopefully a little more with a growth hour or fellowship time, but that one hour pause is because the most important thing in life is God. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And I pause weekly to set my life clock and calendar and orient it to the Creator. The command then to keep it holy means to set it apart. It's to make it a fixture in your life. Holy things must be used for God's purpose. So now you can feel the weight of the fourth commandment. Sunday is the Lord's day. Therefore, it should be prioritized for worship. Full stop. You can disagree about whether you should, Chick-fil-A should be open or not, or whether you can do homework on a Sunday afternoon. But one thing both sides clearly agree on is Sunday is the Lord's day in the sense of it is for worship. No questions asked. So let's look at the second thing I'll say with you this morning and kind of hone in a little bit on what this looks like. The fourth commandment demands, therefore, that Christians rest their bodies and their souls in God alone. The discussion of the story I gave you over the last few minutes that moved from the old to the new covenant makes a few things clear. The Sabbath was God's way of addressing us. It was, it was designed for us. God did not need a nap. He, he did not need a nap. In fact, even in the Jewish literature, the Old Testament, uh, scholars used to debate way before Christianity started about God. God didn't need rest. He is not sleeping. He is not tired. He is completely sovereign in control. What he was doing was setting a pattern for us to properly live and to worship him. Sabbath, or now the Lord's Day, is a sign of redemption. One day, our bodies, and initially our souls, we have a funeral this afternoon that few of us will be serving in and caring for a family in our congregation. What a beautiful day for a funeral. Because it's the day we all paused and embraced the fact that life and death is in the King's hands. That our souls have been redeemed by our Savior, and our bodies belong to our traitor, Creator, and all of us live under that reality. And we might be busy forgetting about it as we're going through drive throughs and we're hustling to work and taking kids to this or that, but we pause one hour every week and we reset our life clocks and calendars. Jesus is not only the Creator, but He is also the Savior. And Sunday allows us to pause and reorient our lives to what is most true, not just in the spiritual world, but in the physical world. One author says this regarding the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day pauses life's noise. I just think about that. When is there a moment, maybe just before bed, 
when there's no noise, there's no chaos, your mind can stop from all the busyness. Your hands can pause. Your feet can rest and you stop. The Lord's day is when life's noise is paused so that we, we may tune our ears to God and his word. The Lord's day is also a way God marks his claim on his people, a people set apart from the world. He claims us. Remember, it's a confession and a commitment. Just gathering is a confession and a commitment. Singing publicly is a confession and a commitment. We're singing and some of you are raising your hands and declaring that creator and savior is your God and he is worthy of worship. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Doesn't matter if it falls on Christmas day or 4th of July or your birthday, you acknowledge the Lord's day. The Lord's Day reminds us, finally, that a greater rest is soon to come at the new creation. Come, Lord Jesus. It pauses all of life's noise and lets us orient our life to our Creator. As much as this is a commandment, do you, hear how the, do you see how this is God pastoring His people? You see how He cares for His people? It, it'd be like sleep. I mean, try to go a couple weeks without sleeping. You, 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 you physically can't. Yet people try to do that without aligning themselves to God. How's that working? Just as you sleep at night and pause from all of life's work, so on the Lord's day you rest in Christ and reorient your life. You realign your life. You remember the gospel. You embrace your brokenness and your broken condition. You give your needs and your requests to God. You minister to your brothers and sisters, and you come back again in 167 hours. So what then specifically does the fourth commandment require? I think two things. And I'm going to use from our brothers and sisters who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism, question 103, a little help. Here's the first. Here's would be the requirement that we first regularly gather on the Lord's Day, Sunday, for corporate worship in our local church. I think this is specific. In fact, when you look at the question the Heidelberg Catechism gives, and I put it in your notes for you, look at the language they use. What is God's, doesn't say suggestion, what's the language? What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? That, that's big. How many times, especially when I was a college professor, how many times did I have students want to know God's will for this or that? Should I marry this girl? Should I do that internship? Should I take that job? How many of us ask that question? Here, the Heidelberg says, hey, guess what, brothers and sisters? This is so clear in Scripture. This is so clear. We can use will language. What is God's will for your life? One would be that you would regularly gather on the Lord's Day Sunday for corporate worship. Look, look, look at the answer, the, the first part of the answer from question 103 in the Heidelberg. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And that, especially on the festive day of rest, Sunday, the Lord's Day, that I, you and me, this was, this was written in a way that we would memorize it, so we're speaking it in the first person. So picture how many Thousands, if not millions of little kids in a ton of different languages have said this verse or this statement from the Heidelberg by memory as part of catechism. That I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, or we might say ordinances, 
to pray to God publicly and to bring Christian offerings for the poor, meaning to show God's common grace to our family of God, maybe to our community. That's God's will. That's Heidelberg Catechism says that is what the fourth commandment requires. So clearly in the Bible, that's the will of God. The second requirement we could say, and it it flows out of that second part of the catechism, but my words would be this. The first is that we regularly gather on the Lord's Day Sunday for corporate worship. The second requirement is that we live our lives in Christ and rest in his provision for us. And that we even enjoy the sampling of the eternal Sabbath we will one day receive. Like we begin to enjoy the fruit of God in our Christian life. Here's the answer that Heidelberg gives. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. I let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life, the eternal Sabbath. Like ultimately, resting is not merely just a, I don't work. It's that Christ has done the work. And it's not only that I rest in Christ, but I allow, begin to work on receiving the work of Christ in me. So then if we were to say that's what it requires, how might we frame it as forbidding? What does the fourth commandment forbid? Here's what I would say. If the will of God is that you regularly attend local church to orient your life in the worship of God, then I would say this. The fourth commandment forbids a Christian life that is unhitched or disengaged from the local church or that is inconsistent or unintentional in attending corporate worship. Now, in our current day and age, that's, that's actually asking a lot. Even the most committed Christians statistically tend, attend church 1.5 times a month. And they say by the end of 2023, it'll likely be just once a month. That's 12 times a year. As we talked about in a series on the local church not long ago, we almost now, Christians and churches almost need to make a case for the local church. Like, why do I even need that? Let me ask you a couple questions. Is Sunday the day you go to church or the day you squeeze in church? Is Sunday demarcated and blocked out in your family life so that other things must fit around it? We say Jesus is Lord, but we teach our children that sports is king. This isn't legalism, brothers and sisters. This is just spiritual intentionality. That's all. That's not legalism. You're going to miss church. If you have COVID, miss church. If you got a cold or snotty nose, we don't want to see you. Certainly don't want to shake your hand. You're traveling or there's family needs or crises or numerous situations you can think of. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about. Hard cases make bad laws. We're talking about a general healthy pattern of saying, my life is Christ's. To live is Christ, and I orient my life around Christ. Just in our parenting class during growth hour, we were talking about last few weeks, we're like raising tough questions, and we were talking about 
cell phones and social media, but specifically sports culture today. And we're like, wh- how do we, what do we think about sports culture? Well, the demands for travel leagues, for volleyball and soccer and basketball, gone all weekends, missing numerous months in a row. Again, don't think legalism. Think, what have we oriented our life around at that point? I remember I, I went to a Christian college at Trinity, and I grew up in a home where church was expected, and I, I followed suit. And then I got to freshman year of college, and there was no mom waking me up on Sunday mornings. And I didn't go to church the entire semester. In fact, I wasn't stupid. I'm at a Christian college, and so here's what I would do. I'd sleep till 1030. I'd shower, and before I'd go to the cafeteria, I'd put church clothes on. Because I knew I had to look like I was going to church right here. 29 years ago, fall semester, that's what I did. Every single week, first 15 weeks until the 16th Sunday, the last week of the semester. It was a Saturday. I probably played some basketball in the gym with some guys in the morning, but then I was cramming for exams because it was final exam week. So my memory, besides eating, I was studying most of Saturday late into the night, and it was around 10 o'clock. I still remember. It was around 10 p.m. I felt this overwhelming conviction that I can only say is from the Spirit of God. I cannot explain it. Nobody caught me. Nobody called me. There was no uh, you are the man prophet outside my dorm room. Nothing. I'm, I, there was nothing that would have been a social pressure. I was in my dorm room in Deerfield, Illinois on a Saturday night. I was thinking just for a moment about what I was going to do the next day, and I felt this overwhelming conviction. I can only say it's by the Spirit of God. And here's what I remember. I laid on my bed, and I wept. And it was about 10, 11 at night, when I looked at my clock, and it was 11.30 when I got off the bed. And I repented to the Lord. And I went that next Sunday to the van that regularly drove, because I had no car, went to the van that drove to North Suburban Evangelical Free Church, where I attended the rest of my time at Trinity. I view that as part of God's mercy. Hebrews says God disciplines his children. And in that moment, right, sometime in mid-December 1993, the Lord God disciplined me for my disobedience of the fourth commandment. It wasn't social pressure. It wasn't like there was a pretty girl going to that church or a parent that was waking me up in the morning. It was legitimately the Spirit of God and His grace in my life. And that's what that is. That's grace. Because if the Heidelberg is right, that is actually God's will. And I was outside the will of God. I was challenging it. So here you sit. And the Lord graciously wants you to have a life that is so full of Him, that is so content in God, that is actually oriented toward your Creator and Savior, who are one and the same. That he gives a commandment, actually a positive one. Don't worry about what you're not supposed to do. Just do this. Ground yourself in me. 
Make this the priority of your life. Make it for your children and your children's children. May they align their life. May they see that when I look at dad or mom or I look at grandma and grandpa to live as Christ. Like soccer gets demoted. My golf game gets demoted. Extra work time gets demoted. I'm going to make Christ my life. And I will align my life to it. Because to be honest with you, we do this for other things. Are you haphazard with whether your kids go to school? Hey, don't worry. Just miss a few weeks. What's the big deal? Do we do that with work? I haven't gone for a long time. The ch- work's not a building. We say that about the church all the time. Church isn't a building. Do we do that with school? School's not a building. Work's not a building. Of course not. We orient our lives around those things. And then the creator and the savior gets demoted. Sunday is the day we attend to our soul. And if we're being right, it's the day we attend to the souls of our church family. Because you have brothers and sisters sitting around you right now that actually need your love and care. Fitting the Heidelberg Catechism, the other thing we would say is that the fourth commandment forbids postures and practices that assume we are our own provider, we are our own sustainer, deliverer, or savior. Keeping the Sabbath is the daily practice of trusting and submitting to God in all things. It is to say, you are my identity, you are my rest. And and hear this, if you are a high school athlete right now, or you are a junior high athlete, your temptation is to make sports your identity. If you are unmarried, single, or thinking of relationships, you're going to be tempted to make dating, family, and marriage your identity. Your young married couple and kids, you're going to be tempted to make your kids your identity. You're hardworking, you went to school, you've got certification, you got a good job, you're going to be tempted to make your work your identity. Like everything is going to be clamoring to make that your identity, that you would trust in it, that you would rest in it. So you stop every Sunday on the Lord's Day. And you say, you are my sustainer. You are my provider. You are my deliverer. I rest in you. I form my identity in you. Remember what Paul said? It's not about the food and the drink or the days, even the Sabbath. The substance belongs to Christ. That's how the fourth commandment finally shepherds us to see that Christ is our true rest. He is the sustainer of our bodies. He is the savior of our souls. The substance belongs to Christ. So how do we obey the fourth commandment? What would it look like? Let me end with these three brief things. Keeping the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath first by making the Lord's day a spiritual priority for you and your family. What you're doing right now should be a priority. If the Heidelberg is right, it is the revealed will of God. That's a big deal. Second, keep the Sabbath by regularly embracing your finitude. That's a good word, and maybe we don't use the word finitude very often. We say, when we talk about God, what do we say? He is infinite. There are no limitations. There is nothing that limits him, exhausts him, tires him. We are the opposite of that. If God is infinite, we are finite. Every night you, 
on time or a little late, what do you do? You lay your head on your pillow and you rest because if you don't, you will die. Your body needs sleep. A third or a quarter of your life will literally just be resting for the rest of your life to be sustained. You are finite. Keeping the Sabbath means you embrace your finitude that God is your provider and sustainer. And last, keep the Sabbath by pursuing the biblical wisdom of a rhythm of labor and rest, right? Not just the understanding that God is our provider and sustainer, but actually finding biblical rhythm of that. Again, as a non-Sabbatarian, I don't think that's locked in on Sunday afternoon and evening. I would say Christ fulfilled that. Sunday reality is corporate worship. We should be regular and intentional. But that labor, uh, the wisdom of labor and rest, a pattern means you know with your finitude that you sleep when you should. You find your identity in Christ alone as you should. You find a good rhythm so that you're honoring not just your soul, but your body as to the Lord. Because to live is Christ. Time is not money. Jesus is time. Another day, another day of worship. That's the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so dominated by a secular view of sacred time, and our lives are overwhelmed by that. So we ask you to be merciful to us, to help us to reorient our lives to true north, to set our clocks and our calendar, our very existence by the perfect measurement of the Lord's day. Father, in a culture, even a Christian culture that minimizes your local church and the practice of corporate gathering for worship, I pray that these people, my brothers and sisters, would not follow suit, but would honor the fourth and obey the fourth commandment by demarcating Sunday as the Lord's day. And they would regularly and intentionally, their whole families, gather for corporate worship because they know that to live is Christ. And the rest of their life surrounds and submits to their commitment and confession to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And may that be reflected, Father, in the ways that we think about our finitude and our need of rest, ultimately entrusting our identities and our purposes to you. So I pray from the youngest child listening in this room to this closing prayer to the most senior saint that all of us would acknowledge the, the, the gift of the fourth commandment and obey. Father, receive this closing song as part of our necessary worship for you on this Lord's Day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.